0: You are listening to Ukraine 242. We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all our listeners around the world. Here is your host, Anne Levin. Welcome to Ukraine 242, a weekly show about Russia's invasion of Ukraine featuring key people on the ground in Ukraine and from around the world. I am Anne Levine, reporting from WOMR, in Provincetown, Mass., reporting for the Pacifica Network. The war in Ukraine has brought awareness and understanding of how war increases civilian casualties, not only in Ukraine, but globally. The war has created a space for the development of services and technologies by a variety of experts to help civilians globally in war-torn areas. Our guest, Ryan Hendrickson, operates an NGO called Tip of the Spear, which works at removing the tens of thousands of canister-launched landmines with which Russia has booby-trapped the Ukrainian landscape. Ryan Hendrickson, welcome to Ukraine 242. You are a retired Green Beret and the president and founder of Tip of the Spear Landmine Removal. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, I really, really appreciate you guys having me on. This was great.
0: Now... I just saw online something that was really bone-chilling, which is a picture of, I think they're called butterfly mines.
1: That Yep. Mm-hmm. They're PFMs, ones and one Ss.
0: Can you describe those for the audience?
1: Nasty, nasty, nasty mines. A lot of places call them parrots because they look like the green parrots, but other people call them butterfly mines. The problem with these mines are... Number one, they camouflage in, so they're canister dispersed, canister air bursted, so they'll float down to the ground, and they can be painted in the color of the terrain there, so they're very difficult to find, but the people that usually find them our children because they look like toys and it takes 0.05 pounds of pressure to actually (sighs) detonate one of these mines, which is very, very little pressure at all. And that's the biggest danger of them is they're hard to find but for some reason those kids that are out there playing and stuff like that they find them all the time and usually the consequences are an arm blown off a foot blown off or something like that the mines are nasty because they're not meant to kill you they're meant to maim you because you take one soldier out of the fight and now you have another 3 to 4 soldiers that are out of the fight because they have to take care of him so those mines are just meant to maim you and they are extremely nasty And almost impossible to render safe. The only thing we can do with them is we collect them up and we burn them. Or we collect them up, put them in a hole, and then blow them up. But very nasty mine.
0: Now, the pictures I saw, they were green. And I don't know, they're kind of like a cute shape, for lack of a better word. I can totally picture myself bending over to pick that up and see what that is. They look like maybe they're a succulent, like a plant. How many of those are in a canister? How many can they disperse with one canister?
1: It depends on the canisters, but there's hundreds in a canister. And usually they could be mortar launched or airdropped via helicopter platforms or even canister released from an aircraft. But they're dispersed over an area where one force assumes the other force is going to be trying to maneuver on them or conduct an an attack or a counterattack offensive or a counteroffensive they'll cover the entire areas with these pfn mines or the palm twos and palm three mines anything anti-personnel but they'll cover these areas with them and then after the offensive or if the offensive never comes or counteroffensive whatever if it never comes or if the opposing force didn't take that route any numbers of things the problem is now now what all these are left in civilian areas recently a battleground but now it's a liberated territory and the ukrainian government can put up warning minefield signs everywhere but the fact of the matter is there's just not enough deminers and government officials to keep villagers out of these areas they're just not going to do it you, you you can't it's impossible and then they end up getting blown up or even worse you know dying and right now, casualty rates are going up because farmers are trying to get out to their field and, you know, get their fields ready to go for spring and summer. Casualty rates are getting pretty high.
0: Now you said the only way to dispose of those is by burning them. How do you gather them?
1: Well, you can burn them or blow them up. The way we gather them is very, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm not, I mean, for anybody listening to this, this is my technique. This is not... If you're a D-miner out there, do what you feel you're comfortable with. And for the other people listening, this is my technique and that's it. But we'll have a little scoop, like a little beach shovel taped to, you know, a seven, eight foot pole, and we'll just scoop them up and slowly but surely one at a time, just keep moving them over to either a pit or a bucket with diesel fuel in it. And then when you got enough in there, cause you don't want the pressure to set one of them off. And then you get the sympathetic detonation when you have enough in there, then you dispose of them and start all over again. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how we do it. It's, it's nerve wracking. I mean, it'll blow fingers off, hand off, a foot off, but you know, if you got eight feet of separation, you'll be fine. Wow. <laughs>
0: that's really scary. Now I saw on YouTube that you were talking about, the interruption that these mines cause to growing food and to food supplies mm-hmm. in other places in the world. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so agriculture demining is very close to my heart. And the reason for that is you're not just protecting the Ukrainian farmer by pulling those mines out of his field. But you're also helping the survivability of many countries that depend on those agricultural exports from Ukraine. There's a lot of countries in this world, mainly in Africa, they will starve without agricultural products from Ukraine. The second and the third order of effects is why it's so important to me. Definitely demining a school or, or working in villages 100% yes, but during this farming season, we're really focused on agriculture demining because of the amount of people around the world that landmine or that one field actually affects. And, you know, that's the reason why it's important to me. And people want to know, well, why are all the farm fields mined in eastern Ukraine? It's simple, it's because farm fields make very good high speed avenues of approach for mechanized units tanks, armor personnel, carriers, and all kinds of stuff. So they use these farm fields because you can maneuver in farm fields. They're flat and they're wide open. And along the roads in Eastern Ukraine, artillery has target reference points dialed in at probably every single four way intersection in Eastern Ukraine. So if you get on the roads, you're going to get hit with artillery. And that's the reason why they're mined heavily by both sides. And it's not just Ukraine. There's a lot of countries around the world that are dealing with this situation
0: it's just terrifying. How many of you are, say, on a team? How many people do you go out with?
1: Right now, I'm the only American. I link up with Ukrainian miners. And what I do when I'm at home is I fundraise to buy equipment and for operating costs in Ukraine. And so... Like this trip right here, I have 47 CHEA metal detectors that I'm bringing over with me. And I have remote pull equipment. I have a Talon 4 bomb disposal robot and a bunch of other stuff. So I bring this equipment over with me. And then I work with a unit, a demining unit. And that's my way of vetting the unit to make sure like, all right, this stuff isn't going to end up on the black market. We're good to go. These are deminers. We're doing great work. You, you have to make sure, you know, because people are donating money to me. And if people are going to trust me and donate their hard earned money out of the kindness of their own hearts, then I'm going to make sure that I donate this equipment over to a unit that is going to use it. Right. And a unit that is going to use it to help people. That's what I mean by vetting and making sure, you know, because you can bring over a bunch of equipment, find a Ukrainian be like, here you go, have fun. And if they don't need that equipment, what do you think is going to happen to it? Of course. So it's my job to make sure that the people who donate to me, their money is going to a good cause, so that's that's what I mean by that. And then I donate equipment over to the Ukrainians, so they have the top-of-the-line equipment. They have the most advanced demining equipment to make themselves safe. Because if they're safe, then they're pulling more mines, which makes the civilians safer. So I donate equipment over to Ukrainian demining units. And once I'm out of equipment and I've donated everything, I'll continue demining for a few weeks. But the The biggest benefit that Ukraine gets from me is not just one guy on the ground demining, but it's the fact that we bring over the equipment that helps out so many of their deminers. So it continues doing work even when I'm not there. So I'll get to a point to where it's like, okay, I'm good to go. Time to head home. I've worked here for 30 days or whatnot. Time to head home, raise more money, get more equipment, get ready to go back. That's basically my cycles. I do 45-day deployments, and then I'm usually home for about three months, and then I head back again.
0: How are you transporting all of that equipment from <laughs> your... your <laughs> well, tell me.
1: Yeah, that's the issue I'm running into right now. I just, I just sent out a tweet a little earlier, seeing if United, because um, I use United as my preferred uh, carrier, but if they have any humanitarian assistance with baggage, because what I do is pack everything up, and then <laughs> I usually have two to three full carts going up to the counter. And I give them my first two bags that are free. And then everything else is $200 to $400 a bag, depending on the weight so yeah that's that's the way i do it now this is the last trip i'm going to do this as i get more equipment i'm going to actually research out and get a good international carrier that you know we can get all this equipment to it can get over to poland and then we'll get it into ukraine do the work we do and then you know repeat
0: when did you actually start tip of the spear
1: Tip of the Spear became a registered 501c3 in October. I think it was October 22nd, 2022. So my first demining mission back in August was still on my own. It wasn't until October that I actually had the 501c3 designation. So that's the, uh, I guess, the birthday for tip of the spear landmine removal
0: and what's the address to get to your page or to get to the tip of the spear for our listeners who are interested
1: yeah it is landmine Landmineremoval.org. landmine
0: you are listening to ukraine 242 This is Ann Levine from WOMR in Provincetown, Mass., reporting for the Pacifica Network with our guest, Ryan Hendrickson. Hendrickson operates an NGO called Tip of the Spear, which works at removing canister-launched landmines when I spoke to Ryan, he was in Florida creating up a large donation of demining equipment to take back to Ukraine. I asked him to talk about how and why he ended up founding Tip of the Spear.
1: Well, I'm a retired Green Beret out of seven special forces Group. And on my first deployment to Afghanistan, I actually stepped on a IED in Afghanistan, which almost killed me. That was September 12th, 2010, when we were conducting a major valley clearance operation. I stepped on a landmine and ended up obviously getting medevaced out. I um, expired twice, according to the surgeons. and I'm Not, not ex- exactly sure if it's like expired milk or something like that. I don't know how it works, <laughs> but... <laughs> And then I started my rehabilitation process, the pain of everything I went through and the life changing, it's not, it's not just physical pain, mental pain is the worst. Throughout my injury, I was medically retired, but everything that I went through, I knew that I had to recover from it. I had to get back to Afghanistan and I had to prove that the Taliban didn't beat me. So I fought to come back onto active duty was granted a waiver to be on active duty. And then in 2012, I returned to Afghanistan and I ended up going back to Afghanistan seven more times after my injury. One of which in 2016, I was awarded the Silver Star for combat operations and some stuff that happened on one of the missions we were on. Always knowing that pain and everything that I went through when I stepped on my IED, I knew that I didn't want the innocence civilians the women the children kids just out there trying to live their lives in a war zone i didn't want them to have to go through that pain either so regardless if i knew it or not i kept going back because i dedicated my life to try and help others including the members on my special forces operation detachment you know that was my focus so then i retire from the army go back to afghanistan two more times as a contractor i leave afghanistan july 21 right before the fall and i'm looking at my life and everything i dedicated my life to and now it's over
0: i'm Um, gonna stop you there for a second mm -hmm. you kind of brushed over it but what you went through at bamc brook army medical center Mm -hmm. is unbelievable can you can you It was painful. (laughs) Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that? Can you tell the audience about that?
1: Yeah, so 27 surgeries to reattach my right leg and basically an exploratory limb salvage program. My doctor said, I can repair any bone. The reason why we amputate is for tissue damage you stepped on a pretty clean IED that had some clean cuts to it, not a lot of tissue damage. So you're a great candidate for this limb salvage program. And if we are able to save your limb and basically reattach your leg again, you're going to rewrite medical technology books with the limb salvage program. So I I guess it was that challenge that kind of gave me purpose because veterans are driven off of purpose. And I just thought that if this... Surgery will help one person in the future because of the technology that comes from it or the research that comes out of my leg, then great. Yeah, let's do it. And if not, well, I didn't have a leg anyway. So it's not really that big of a deal. So, (laughs) so yeah, that was uh, 20, 27 surgeries and a very, very brutal rehabilitation. But I have nothing but praise for the military surgeons that worked on me, the physical therapy department um Brooks Army Medical Center. Everything that the military did for me to get me back was world class and I have nothing but praise for it. So
0: Well, your descriptions of all of that in your book Tip of the Spear are just wow, so vivid and your description of the physical pain, the mental pain, how mm-hmm. long was it from the time you stepped on that IED in Afghanistan? until you took your first steps on your
1: rehabbed leg oh um i would say um yeah i got blown up 2010 so maybe january 2011 i had my walker and i had a bunch of people holding on to my arms and stuff like that and i think i took my first steps and then i passed out <laughs> Yeah, good read. times But like my dad said, you're in a hospital, so what's the worst that can happen?
0: When when were you able to walk independently for the first time?
1: Hmm. I I still wear an IDEO device for my right leg. So I never truly walk independently. I'm always assisted by something. But walking without assistance from a person, I I don't know, maybe, maybe the late spring, early summer of 2011.
0: Wow. So that's a long, long journey. Well, I interrupted (laughs) you, but you were Mm -hmm. saying, I think in 2021, I think that's where I cut you off.
1: Yeah. So July, 2021, I left Afghanistan for the last time. And when I got home, I was really having a lot of struggles with what's my purpose. My entire military career has revolved around Afghanistan and Iraq. And so now what? So you know, I'm sitting in this government contracted job, then it was a great job with great people, but I had no purpose. And so as I'm sitting there trying to figure out what I want to do now, all of a sudden, February, 2022 rolls around. And as many Americans probably did, I was watching the invasion of Ukraine unfold. And during this time, I just felt this nagging urge to go over there and do something. And it was really funny because there was no way I was going over there. Too dangerous, war zone, and all this other stuff. And my dad called me up one night and he said, don't even think about it. I said, think about what? And he goes, I know what you're thinking about right now. I was like, no, I'm not going over there. And I'm, I'm in a government contract. I can't anyways. They won't allow it. Well, I guess father's intuition or whatnot. First week in March, I quit my government job. And I linked up with a missionary organization that needed drivers. They needed help because we were going into, at that time, the suburbs of Kiev and evacuating women and children. So I quit my job and on like a three-day notice, I just flew to Poland and linked up with some of their contacts that got me across the border to Kiev. They gave me the night to rest. And then the next morning, I was driving a bus to pick up women and children to get them started on their route out of Ukraine, usually into Poland or Romania during this time. Now I'm starting to get that purpose. Now I'm feeling like, okay, this, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm helping people, you know, it's not paying the bills, but that wasn't the purpose I'm over there and I'm helping people and I'm doing something that's bigger than me. And okay. Now I'm starting to put pieces together. I don't know if I could sustain this forever, but right now this feels good. And now it's April, the Russians move east. And so we start bringing in supplies and medical aid and food and stuff like that. And then civilians start to come back to their homes. Same way we do after wildfires, hurricanes, anything like that. You come back and you survey the damage. Well, as civilians were coming back, the casualties, the injuries from them hitting booby traps and landmines start to skyrocket. And I'm in these areas where people are trying to figure out what is this? A guy just lost a leg over here and we have a kid that was killed over here. And so I start helping out with not just demining, but education. Like, yo, stay away from that. Here's and we're educating the people around there. And I'm starting to help remove stuff. And now is this all, in
0: the is this in the cave region?
1: It was at that point in time, yeah. And okay. then we moved east. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, we moved east, but all of a sudden, April of 2022, I realized what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And that was to use that very intimate knowledge of almost losing your life to an explosive device. I was going to use that and I was going to use those skills the military trained me on to help other people, not only in Ukraine, but to go throughout the world and remove these hazards so civilians they don't have to worry about their next step they don't have to worry about you know their kids out playing and they hear that earth shattering explosion and now life is completely changed and so, yeah, in April, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And I started helping out in more areas around Ukraine before I left in May, wanted to come home and get some actual gear, military grade metal detectors, cheya metal detectors, some of my old gear, stuff like that. And I went back and started doing agriculture demining, demining farm fields. And from August to November, December, I was in Hearsan region, and I'm going back in April. We do agriculture demining, and it's to, it's to give these farmers and these civilians and these farmer communities that freedom of movement to do something that they've done for years and years and years, and, years and that's that's feed the world. So that's basically how this all came about.
0: Wow. So now <laughs> you're heading back soon, right? Soon,
1: yep. Mm-hmm.
0: And you're going to Kiev?
1: Well, I mean, Kiev is one of the stops. We have meetings in Kiev and stuff like that. But I'll be demining either Kharkiv region or Hirson region. Kharkiv or Hirson. So um, I'll probably head out to those areas for another demining mission. But again, we're focusing on agricultural demining, which is removing landmines from farm fields, basically. So wherever the Department of Interior for Ukraine, wherever they ask us to go, and we'll do the best we can. So
0: let's say, God willing, this work in Ukraine mm-hmm. comes to an end in six or 12 months. What will you mm-hmm. do at that point?
1: Well, we're expanding tip of the spear landmine removal. And the reason why we're expanding is because landmines are not just a crisis in Ukraine. There's countries all over the world that are suffering from landmines from previous conflicts, you know, in Africa alone. I mean, there are so many countries that have been forgotten about their, their citizens. They're getting blown up daily. Think about Southeast Asia, you know, just, just everywhere. And so what my plan going forward is. Yes, we're going to keep a presence in Ukraine and we're going to continue demining there, but we're going to be getting bigger as the funding comes in and we're able to grow and we're going to add more people on so we can affect these people in other parts of the world that desperately need help too. And so that's that's the plan right now is yes, Ukraine is the focus right now because we're small, but as we grow bigger, teams are going to start to head to different countries and we're going to help them too.
0: Well, Ryan Hendrickson, thank you so much for what you do. It's incredible. And thank you for your incredible service. You also skimmed over that you were awarded a Purple Heart.
1: You, you don't want you don't want a Purple Heart, but well, <laughs> I appreciate that.
0: I'm really glad that Ukraine got someone like you to help them with this terrible problem. So, I
1: appreciate that. It means a lot. Thank you.
0: Please stay in touch and Let us know how
1: you're doing. I will for sure. Thank you. Thank you. All right.
0: Meets Light by the Dixie Drags. Our thanks to our guest, Ryan Hendrickson. Ryan Hendrickson's memoir is called Tip of the Spear the incredible story of an injured Green Beret's return to battle. To find out more about Ryan Hendrickson or to donate, visit landmineremoval.org. Landmineremoval.org. To see pictures of Ryan and a video of him demining farm fields in Ukraine, go to ukraine242.com, where you can also access our entire library of shows. I am Anne Levine, the host and creator of Ukraine 242. Editing by Ursula Rudenberg for the Pacifica Network. Recording by Michael Levine. Thank you for tuning in. Until next week on Ukraine 242.